Hello and welcome to another episode of The Good, The Bad and The Cree. We've got Cree. Evening. We've got Sam. Morning. And also <laughs> and also uh, James Montgomery from... From, uh, oh, from Jersey. Jersey, that's it. Jersey. Yeah. Yes, the nice uh, one. Hello. So <laughs> How's everyone? Not Guernsey. Not Guernsey. Jersey. Is, is it offensive if you're calling you, if I was to say you're from Guernsey? Is it, offensive? is it offensive for me to assume that hole is in the south? Ooh, Ooh yeah, it would be actually, yeah. That's so a good point. Right, right we go then. Before, before we uh, <laughs> just, just destroy the international relations between Guernsey and Hull, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's, um, let's uh, talk about this, today's discussion. So Formula One has been doing its winter testing. Not a lot of it, only three days. Uh, but a lot of discussion points have been occurring. So, chaps, we are going to be basically delving into the stats that we have to discuss, where we think everyone is at the end, and uh, hopefully, with our egg timer in check, we'll get done before ooh, April. So yeah, yeah, if you want. So uh, awesome. Let's let's get the uh, the biggest hit out of the way, Monty. What do you have to say? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, I think it was an inspired choice of venue to go and do the winter testing in Bahrain. I mean, for years, they've had so many issues with the weather conditions and the disrupted testing. Uh, so I found it incredibly ironic and humorous that for the first day, it got completely screwed over with a sandstorm instead. I love that. I turned it on. on I was brilliant. Was. I just, oh, like, that oh. was good. <laughs> That's a sandstorm. It's like, we, we come here. It's like, I think they did it before when they went to Bahrain for like special testing. Like before F1 like conglomerated everything together. They went over to Bahrain, like Toys from Ferrari, and it was just like sandstormed off for like the first day or two. But uh, yeah, this isn't a new story for them either. It's just the perfect time of year for things to happen. Yeah, and uh, I mean the temperatures fluctuate so much that time of year around there anyway. Like one day it can be twelve degrees, the next day it's thirty-four degrees Celsius. So I don't actually know how this lack of consistency was going to actually benefit them. To me, somewhere a bit more uh, consistent. Portimao, south of Spain, would have been more. Oh god! Yeah, consistently awful all the time. <laughs> would have, would have been good for the teams though, considering most of them are based within spitting distance of Silverstone. Can't yeah, but you know Ferrari will have a work. Um, a while. Well, of course they will. Yeah, um, absolutely. So key topics. Obviously, everyone launched their new cars beforehand to an extent. Uh, some some hid their their cars until the first uh, day of testing. Some quite late into the day of, of the first day of testing. Uh, and the main discussion points really were um, some some discussion about the floor. I think is the uh, the fair way to do it. Obviously, F one have got the new uh, restrictions where they can't have all the little winglets. So they have a little triangular exclusion area cut out from the floor to try and get lose some downforce. And uh, teams. Are yeah, going it's about hundred mil in front of the rear wheels. Is a hundred millimeters wide from the edge of the floor to the inside of the rear wheel. You're not allowed anything, any form of bodywork there. Yep. And then it's all, I think it's a specified angle to a point further down the floor. Somewhere and it's like, just, yeah. I think it was meant to cut about 15% downforce, I think was the idea. And basically teams have been... Um, it's certainly done that to Mercedes. Yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, basically teams have been um, by trying to recover that by basically moving all those little louvres onto what's left of the floor. Um, mm. So... What do we think is... Well, let's let's talk about Mercedes, seeing as Chris has already started it. Um, not a good test. However, there's always a however movement with Mercedes and testing. How much sand have they left out the back of their garage for two weeks' time? What do we think? Sam? Loads. Absolutely loads. I'd be amazed if they're not 
at the top of the timesheets when we come to uh, the first round in a couple of weeks' time. Chris, I think. Agreed. I they were the fastest car last year, and they weren't just fastest by a little bit. They were consistently faster, or consistently fastest. <clears throat> and you know, you, the cars haven't changed. The regulations have changed slightly, and it might disadvantage them in some sense. But it's Mercedes. They're not going to be slacking. Um, I think at the end of last season, we saw a potential change of the tide. There were on occasions where Red Bull were the match of Mercedes. And I've been intrigued with how Red Bull have interpreted the regulations for this year. Because the one thing that they had an issue with last year was keeping the thing pointing straight. Unless you were Max Verstappen, of course. And yet, both their drivers are commenting on just how much more rear grip this car has compared to last year's. Um, whereas Mercedes seems to have that Red Bull characteristic. Um, I agree with Sam that uh, I, I don't think we've seen Mercedes full hand at all, but um, they haven't prepared themselves very well. Uh, I, With the exclusion of last year, because last year they, they were just so, so dominating. But I mean, think of 2017, 2018. They started those seasons on the back foot. Ferrari got the jump on them at the beginning and then they were just kind of like a steam train. Once they got the momentum going, they were just unstoppable as the rest of the season went by. I get a feeling this year is going to be more along those lines again rather than Mercedes just a second ahead of everyone else. So I, let's, I think... let's discuss that because obviously Mercedes had not only problems with their how they looked on track in terms of their performance and time <clears> where of course they were spinning a bit. We do question what the setups were, what you know what they've left in the, in the tank, so to speak, um, but also they have had some reliability issues. They were the slowest, the lowest rather, of the teams in terms of number of lap counts, uh, and only the next car ahead of them is Aston Martin, slash racing point, slash Jordan, slash also had, who also had their own reliability issues. Yes, that's a very good point, actually. Mercedes gearboxes uh, seem to be a bit of a problem in this test, weren't they? Hmm. Oh, McLaren did all right. They did, which is weird. Yeah, I was going to say, if there's any team that's going to have a problem with their engine powertrain unit, it would have been McLaren, considering they've had to shovel it into the back of... Before you say that, Chris, McLaren were third lowest. Mm. In terms of... Yeah, they were quick, but they didn't actually do many laps. Mm. Um, Fair enough. Yeah, they, they uh, focused yeah. a lot on more kind of not race distance type things. They were just focusing more on the balance of the car. Not, not qualifying runs, but... Kind of your sprint runs and stints and blah blah. So blah, they blah. they were top of the timesheets on quite a lot of the um, quite a lot of the time. To be fair, but I know what you mean. I don't think they were necessarily quali lapping for like a day. They were just getting mileage on the car with that engine, trying to see what the differences is. I think one benefit of doing it at Bahrain is that they said they ran the cars there towards the end of last season. As well, obviously, it was like the what third last race. Um, so, is a th- is a thought. Could it not be that uh, looking at the top of the chart, so the teams that ran the highest number of lap counts were Ferrari based? So you had Alfa Romeo. With well, the that's true. The Ferrari there. So it could be that it's not actually because they're trying to run the number of laps because the engines haven't technically changed. So they know what the engine's going to do. So they only need to run the prescribed plan that they need to run to check that the error correlation is correct and that the new bits and pieces they put on the car works the way they're meant to do. Why do more laps than you need to do? Whereas with Ferrari, their power unit and powertrain systems are reasonably new because they had the deficit of, you know, they had a power deficit to the other engines. So it would make sense for them to run longer so they've got more data to 
to support the changes they've made for the, to their powertrain. Whereas the Mercedes teams might be like, well, we've done all of our error correlation. Why do we need to run another 100 laps? That's a fair comment. Fully agreed. Unless Fully you're agreed. asking yeah. Martin. <laughs> who well, well no, because it's, it's, they're not a different team. They're the same no, team. It's just they've they've got a different green on it. Oh, who gives a shit? It's Vettel. <laughs> Vettel, Vettel has been very uh, open uh, and said he reckons he's missed out on about 100 laps of testing. I was going to um, say, he missed a lot of running. If you added 100 laps to Vettel's tally, that would put him third highest. Yeah. And, yeah, and for someone like Vettel, he needs testing. Look at him in the past. Mm. If he hasn't done enough testing in the beginning, he throws a wobbly throughout all season because he, he can't get his head around it. Uh, yeah. I hope he he will work around it in the races, but um, this is kind of sounding a bit like Red Bull 2014 to me when he could only do, what, 40 laps in testing? The <laughs> season if he was lucky, yeah. yeah. Um, let's talk about Red Bull. Are they, going to be, are they going to be... Are they going to finally do it where they're going to be fast at the end of the year and carry it through to the start of the new one? It certainly looks like it, doesn't it? If you if you only looked at the timesheets, you'd say Red Bull are going to be good. But I don't know. I really don't know. I think you've got to think, if you're sat in Mercedes, you're looking at the other teams, you're going, who's going to be our challengers next year? And you have to 100% say Red Bull. And now they've got Sergio Perez and Max Verstappen. You're sat there going, Sergio Perez, clearly number two driver. I don't think there's any doubt about that. No, uh, Max Verstappen is clearly going to be as quick, if not quicker, than he was last year. So you're sat there going, well, they're going to be pushing for that Constructors' Championship and they're going to be pushing hard. And you kind of sit to yourself, yeah, they could do it. They could genuinely do it, but, you know, it all changes on the first race, doesn't it? Toto Wolf doesn't think they're quicker than the Red Bull. He said that yeah, in an Toto interview. Toto Wolf says that every year. That, that's to true. Yeah. Toto really does play down things because he'd much rather under-promise over-deliver. That's always been his stance in these things. And I respect them for doing that. Okay, from a fan point of view, it's bloody annoying. It's like, oh, yeah, we're not quick this year. Oh, look, we did the sandbags off. Lol. Mm -hmm. But um, it, it's a realistic approach to take. Otherwise, you just get arrogant and become like Ferrari. Um, I certainly think Red Bull, this is their best chance. They've looked quick from the word go. They've got a car which is poised. It's working as expected. They can understand what it's doing. Um, I'm intrigued to see how more effective Perez would be compared to Alex Elbon. That really is going to interest me because I, I don't know where to gauge him at the moment. Is he going to be four tenths of a second off for Stappen again? Is it going to be a case of because he can last on his tie so, so well in the race that uh, Max Verstappen is actually going to learn something from him this year? This is That's what I'm more interested about. As you lot know, I've always been a Perez fan for well, 12 years now, 13 years. Um, mm. And I was disappointed that he didn't get more laps under his belt. Only 166 um, through the three days of testing. I think, you know, he's got he's got to have... It's not bad. It's not awful, but it's not... It, it could have been a lot better. And I think that... Did he, have any, did he have any mechanical problems that limited him? I didn't see it. I don't remember. He might have had small gremlins through the day, as would be expected from okay. Red Bull's oh, um... testing. He, I think he, he got affected by the sandstorm. He did a right. bit, yeah. And also, I think, um, which one of the Red Bulls was it that the engine cover blew off? Oh, was that Perez, the yeah. Yeah, that was Perez. Perez. Yeah, it was there too. Yeah. So, yeah. I think Perez will. He's good. I think this isn't a good start for him, 
but he's going to be a sort of driver who will have the uh, the know-how of F1 and the ability, hopefully, to progress through the season. So by the time we get to half, what's halfway through about Silverstone normally? So yeah, yeah, we'd, normally we'd we'd hope that I think by then that's when we'll start to see maybe on qualifying side he starts to get within quarter of a second as he's as he would be expected to be. Race pace, as yeah. Monty, Monty says, though, I think it, it, it will be. It will be very tough in the first couple of races, but I think that it's going to be a case of maybe both parts of the Red Bull are going to team are going to have to learn off each other rather than have it, you know, one garage, second garage. Yeah, I mean, to be fair to Red Bull as well, they've given him the Stappen's race engineer hmm. from last hmm. year, so yeah. that if any, if that can only help. That surely shows that they have some. Um, they they know he's he needs to adjust to the way that Red Bull runs a team for one and two how they run the car and the setup and all of that sort of stuff. So by giving him the number one race engineer from last year, that's got to be promising. It for shows him, some surely. It, yeah, exactly. That's what I was looking. That's the phrase I was looking for. If I'm not one showed, thing, oh, go on. I know wrong, Paul. I was going to say that the one thing. The, the biggest thing for me, which is going to be fascinating to see throughout the year, is the team dynamics within Red Bull. And I was going to bring that up. I was going to bring that up. <laughs> right, go and, go and see your point first. I was, I, was just, I was just going to say, I fully expect at some point Max to get really pissed off with Perez because Perez is ahead of him. At some yeah. point during the year, I fully expect that. But yeah, what do we I'm, think Red Bull are doing in that situation? Do they tell <clears throat> Perez to move over or do they go, well, sorry, Max, he's quicker than you? what the race situation well, is, I think. Well, no, I, I expect Perez to be running long on a set of tyres, Max to be on a quick set of tyres, and Max to be like, fucking get him out of the way. Yeah, that's fair yeah. enough. Oh, it's yeah. right. So, yeah, go on, go on, Monty. Uh, for me, the team dynamics I'm looking for, uh, yes, I think there could be on occasion where Perez will wrestle Verstappen's cage. Uh, Perez, historically, is very Marmite as a teammate, isn't he? He, he really pissed off Button when them two were together at uh, McLaren. Um... Him and Ocon uh, weren't exactly the, the best fun. chums. Uh, and uh, I think it became very apparent by uh, the end of last year that um, uh, Lance Stroll wasn't sorry to uh, see him leave. And Perez's last comments uh, of uh, where there was only one driver carrying the points for the team this year. So what you're saying, uh, Monty, is that uh, if a teammate is slower than Perez, that's their problem. Uh, no, was, what, that, what that I'm was, saying that's is... That's thing, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um... I don't know what it is. I personally think that Perez always has uh, the intention of the, of the team at heart. Um, well, he bailed out. Racing point, didn't he? Well, he, made, he made yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, exactly. Um, he, yeah, I'm just intrigued to see how he, he copes with this new environment because Racing Point is like a family. It's a much smaller team. There's a lot of the Jordan ethos there. Mm. He's going to Red Bull now, and Red Bull is a pressure cooker. And you, we've seen what has happened to other drivers uh, there in the past. Well, this um, is the thing: is is the last been... fully experienced driver was Mark Webber back in 2013. So yeah. you've had they've gone through the ringer with Gasly, with Albon. You know, in the past they went through Jean Eric Verne, Halmi Alguersari, all the bit that was Brendan Hartley, Brendan Hartley. Brendan Hartley. Hartley. Yeah, yeah, Kvyat, yeah, absolutely, Kvyat. Twice. So now that you've got somebody who. Hasn't gone through the Red Bull system. Let's be honest; doesn't give a shit. Yeah. You know, if I was if I was Perez, I could give two tosses. I just want to drive your car. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see what he does. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I agree. Are we are we agreed? Mercedes and Red Bull are probably going to be first and second rows of the grid. I yeah. would think so. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, certainly at the beginning of the season. Right then. Sam, you remember to our, say, you remember I'd our, like uh, to think. You remember our little uh prediction we did a few a few a couple of months ago? Or lists. Yeah. yeah, lists. Right. I certainly Monty, do. Who do you think is currently in third place? Ferrari. What? Oh, okay, that's fine. What? Uh, that's Chris? a brave call. Uh McLaren. Sam. Yeah, McLaren. I would say it's got to be McLaren. I, I j- think it's close between McLaren oh, and an. I think McLaren, uh, but I think Alpine are there. I was not impressed uh, with Ferrari. Uh, but go ahead, Monty, you first. Uh, no, why do you say Ferrari, Monty? Why? Uh, it's a new engine. The car was obviously let down by an engine last year. I think they've got two very capable drivers in uh, Leclerc and Sainz. I, I think potentially they are out driving the car at the moment. But uh, I, I get the feeling that as the season goes on, they will become a clear, distinct third place just because of that's traditionally what happens with them. With McLaren, I also agree. that They were my other thoughts. McLaren could be the other one. They tend to build a car. And it stays consistently in that kind of zone for the whole year. It's not really, they may develop at the same pace as those around them, but they don't jump ahead or they, they don't fall behind. So Ferrari and McLaren, for me, are who's going to be in third at the end of the season. But I feel like Ferrari may get the edge on McLaren, but McLaren's driver pairing, kind of like what Norris and Sainz did last year. They were outpaced by Racing Point last year, but because they had two drivers continuously scoring throughout the whole season, mm. that's what got them further in the championship. Mm. I think it's going to be a repeat again. So, no, I wouldn't, dis- I wouldn't disagree with you. I would, uh, I'd, I would like to think that um, McLaren are going to be quick. I mean, they looked <clears throat> quick throughout testing. They were consistently top three or four on the times mm-hmm. um, and a lot of the time they were top one or either, either one of their drivers especially Daniel Ricciardo who's obviously new to the team new to the car um, Lando was I was a little bit disappointed with Lando's outright pace but I think can you say that he came second in day one yeah day one he did but yeah the rest of them he was not it's bad testing, Sam, it's testing I know but but still um, everyone's got their I mean, own programs but it, I, it, that's, that's true as well, to be fair. I think the McLaren just looked... Which, just think from what everyone was saying, who was actually there, I, the McLaren sounds like it's a stable car. The Ferrari sounds like it's a a bit limited on the front, is what I've, I was hearing. But mm-hmm. that's better than being completely chaotic at the back, which is what it was <laughs> this time true. last year. Very, yeah. yeah, very true. Um, I, definitely, I definitely think for drivers' pairings... Of the whole field, although we've just talked, spoken about Perez and Verstappen, I think throughout the whole field, the best sort of like driver pairings, I think going forwards, certainly in terms of like consistency, like team driver pairings that you can see for the next two, three, four years, you know, that Ricardo and Norris pairing and the, and the Sites and Leclerc pairing, you've got to sort of yeah. rub your hands together and go, ooh. Mm. Yeah. Not, I don't, I don't know. I think yeah. that Ferrari's. In general, I don't think are there, but I'll, I'll be more than happy to prove them wrong. I've been a Ferrari fan for twenty or more years, but I, I don't. I'm, this doesn't fill me with confidence. This is a bit, they've been incredibly quiet. This test. They have been 
probably a good thing. Conspicuous oh, in their absence. <laughs> In the last That's a good thing, year. because last for the last year. 10 years, it's been promising the world for everyone, and uh, I don't know about you, I'm just kind of sick and tired of being disappointed by them. Hmm. What do you make of... Right, so I've forgotten. Chris, Chris, you're an Alonso fan, aren't you? No. I'm not Alonso, not Alonso. I, I appreciate the, what he's done for the sport. I won't say I'm a fan no. of him. No, 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 no. He, 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 he stopped Schumacher's domination in 05, and then he's well, brought plenty of comedic values. Yeah, yeah, the FIA did that. But you know, and he's brought plenty of comedic fact um, comments when he was uh, driving the McLaren Honda. <laughs> and you know, you've got to, you've got to, you know, you've got to respect the man, give him credit. And I think he'll be constant. I think I think Corinne Chandler made a good point when he was doing the commentary. He'll be consistent like a machine throughout the entire race weekend. He'll just be at it all the time. I don't think he's got the pace. The outright pace that maybe Ocon has, I, I, I expect him to be beaten by Ocon most Grand Prix, or at least if I was Ocon, I would be. Ex- no, I would generally, if I was Ocon, I would be looking at beating Alonso in every off, in most of the qualifying sessions. But in terms of race pace, I would expect Alonso to absolutely outdrive that Alpine. Fair enough. Monty, like it, like he did for McLaren. Where do you think Ocon uh, will Ocon be buried, or will he be? Vaulted to the team leader of Alpine by the end of the year. Alpine is the big unknown for me. I I honestly do not know. There's so many what ifs in there. Alonso is coming in there as the disputed two-time champion. He is a goat. He's going to come there and save all of Alpine's problems. Historically, Alonso turns up to things and Rose. causes a shit fest. Yes, so I'm intrigued to see. How and uh, this is the greatest respect to Alpine because I have a lot of friends who work there, and I really hope things work well for you guys after all the great work that they've done last year. But I do have a huge concern that if the car is not clearly the third best, we're going to get a very vocal Alonso by the mid part of the year again, and that's going to just upset all the flow in Alpine. One thing which I do think is going for them is um, Cyril Butlier, whatever his name is, is gone. gone. So I would like to hope. That this means we're not going to have a arrogantly patriotic French team, and that they may actually start uh, responding to facts now rather than pride, because um, they've got a proven what, team for, leader for now all, who... for all four of their team leaders. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so th- this is going to be interesting to see now because they've essentially got a committee management. So th- this is why it's such an unknown for me. In the past, it has worked for some. But McLaren basically had a committee management in the, the mid-2010s, and that was just them going downwards into a horrible spiral, um, which Alonso was also part of that as well. This is why it's a huge what-if for me, because they've got all the ingredients to succeed. They have a proven driver. They have a bloody good car with um, a very French airbox, which reminds me of Ligier. <laughs> um, Chris, we mentioned that got... airbox. Just for a very, very passing <laughs> comment. We mentioned Sorry. that. They, it's, everyone's going, oh, wow, look at that airbox. It's not new. Oh. They had it last no, it is bigger than no. I did actually see. I didn't know. I did see a com. I did see a um, comparison image of last year's Renault and this year's Alpine, and it is bigger. Much oh, bigger. Okay. It's okay. like significantly bigger. It is genuinely like Monza just said. It's significantly but bigger. But the idea no, is it's not new. The the idea no. is not new at all. So, uh, there's not a new concept there. I th- conspiracy theorists. I think this is um, them trying to hide a serious cooling issue with the Renault engine again, which wouldn't be for the first time. This that's right. Uh, more, more, more power. 
we can hope. Exactly, <laughs> and more drag. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as, as, for, as for Ocon, though, well, okay, he's got a proven teammate, but he's also got a teammate who's nearly 20 years older than him. Alonso's 40 now. Um, he is, sorry, 39, going to be 40 this year. Mm-hmm. He's been out of F1 for two years. We've seen what's happened to other F1 drivers who have been out for a couple of years and when they come back. This is Ocon's golden opportunity to stake his claim as to why he is the future of Formula One. And That's a big title. for the... St- I know. Well, he has to be because Mercedes have invested so much into him that he was supposed to be part of their future program. Well, Renault did as um, well before he went to Mercedes. Exactly. Exactly. They they both have huge expectations and belief in him. And sorry, he hasn't. He's a great qualifier, but his race pace has been mm. in the racing point days. It was the same. He'd out qualify Perez all the time, and then come the race, it was Perez who'd get the points. Exactly. The same thing happened last year, and whilst I was glad to see Ocon get that podium in um, the, the short Bahrain track, that was in a race of attrition. That wasn't on merit. Sam, and I haven't seen Ocon do that yet. Sam, out yes, of the sure. two new teams, quote unquote, mm-hmm. Alpine and Aston, who's ahead? This is so difficult because again, Aston Martin didn't really have much running. Um... <sighs> should be Aston Martin. I mean, in theory, if you look at what they were doing last year, you would have to say that Aston Martin are going to be starting slightly further ahead. Um, They've certainly got a better power unit. They are essentially running a Mercedes car, as was mocked a lot last year, but it clearly works. The tracing Um, point. Yeah, the tracing point. Uh, (laughs) But, I mean, I, I would say... It's very difficult to say after just three days of testing where Aston Martin didn't have that much running. But I'd like to th- I would like to think that um that Aston will be slightly ahead, purely because I prefer the team. Now you said that Aston would finish fourth behind McLaren in our little prediction. I did. I I still uh, You're not sounding confident. <laughs> I'm not sounding particularly confident. I think they still will be. I mean, I don't know, it's it really depends on how good the Ferrari upgrades actually are, and I'm not overly, yeah, I'm not overly convinced by how good the Ferrari upgrades are. They didn't look very good. They were all right in in places. I mean, to, I think it was the end um, of the last day. They were up there towards the end, now, but it did take them a long time to get there. Chris, yes, shall we talk about your favourite team? And your favourite driver in Formula One right now? Oh, no, no, no. I wouldn't say Alfa Tauri is my favourite team. My favourite driver, definitely Yuki Tsunoda. I think he's going to be Yuki Tsunoda. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, ah, what a performance. I mean, if you're looking, I don't. I, I think Alfa Tauri did the opposite of sandbagging uh, and just wanted to give their driver plenty of confidence. I, do. I mean, they... and he, he just oozes confidence, doesn't he? I know it's Japanese. I know he's a Japanese driver, and he's very difficult to portray. Portray emotion, but he just he's in the car. He's oozing confidence, and he he's clearly got the pace. He's clearly got the racecraft from F two last year. He's got the ability. You've just got to be excited to see him in the car on a race day at the beginning at the start. And you just, God forbid, you just hope he doesn't get turned over by the Red Bull system. I don't think he will. I think he's good enough not to. 
Also, I'd like to point out, I want him in Super Formula at some point, or in a Super GT car. <laughs> I was actually also, I'd... I was also happy with Sonoda, and Gasly, and the car. I think that... Who? Who's Gasly? I think it's... He's, he's the number two, number two <laughs> driver, isn't he, Chris, according to you? He is a, a, he's not even a driver, in my opinion. <laughs> Monty. Hello. Um... I agree with everything said so far. I think uh, Afutari have uh, purposely just gone out there to give their drivers lots of confidence. Uh, Gasly always goes really well around Bahrain, so I'm going to hold judgment on what he's going to be like until we get around to the other tracks during the season. Yuki Snowder, yes, I'm very excited to see what he can do. Uh, certainly Japan's best prospect. Um, Apart from Takuma Sato. I was, I was going to say since Takuma Sato. No, no, the, the no, no Sato, still, Sato, is still, Sato is still their, their best prospect. <laughs> well, Sato is, I mean, he's won Indy. Twice. So Indy 500, Twice. exactly. Twice. So so he, he has to be Japan's most successful driver to date. But I think that Yuki Tsunoda is um, still a hot talent. I'm very excited to see what he can do. I am intrigued to see what happened at the end of this year once Honda is gone, because I am aware that he is there, as most Japanese drivers are, because uh, there's a Japanese engine in that car. I think, I think he's quick. Does. I think he's quick enough. Yeah, I think so he's I quick think. enough that if Honda were to disappear, I think Red Bull would keep him on, or Alpatari would keep him on. And even if they didn't keep him on, you sat there going, "Who Aston Martin? Maybe if Vettel is a bit sure. naff, you know, Alf, not Alf, but yeah. But where's Alpine? Maybe if Ocon's a bit naff. But, but where's he gonna go from here? That that that's. I've told you Super Formula and Super GT is like better than F1. <laughs> well, fair enough. Then. No, no, to be fair, I do generally think he'll end up in Super Formula and Super GT because it, I think most Japanese drivers traditionally do end up over there. I mean, Matsushita, who was the F2 driver, he's good. there now. Matsushita. Yeah, he's not very good. Matsushita. Matsushita. Uh, yeah, uh, and you know, and I think Sato had a skin over there. Kobayashi drives in both series. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, unfortunately, oh, not unfortunately, yeah, Nakajima, yeah. So they all tend to go back home. Um, but what gets me, and I don't, don't know why, but you look at like Charles Leclerc, and you're like young potential world champion. You look at Lando Norris, for example. You might think to yourself, potential, cha- potential, very potential. And you look at George Russell, and you act potential champion. You look at Snowder and you go, if he wins a race, he's done well. That's Japan though, isn't it? And I don't, and I don't know why. I don't know why I look at Snowder and I go, if you win a race, you've uh, done really well. The problem is that I have... because, though, is that because he is such a rookie at the moment? And, I mean, it, it's he's only been racing cars, I Three heard years? the other day, for four years. Oh, wasn't the staff four the years. Same, though? Yeah, the the guy... was quicker, to be fair, but like that's, there was a weird case with the staff. The guy, the F4, F3, 19. F2, and no, yeah. no, he was. Uh, no, I thought he was born in 2000. Yeah, two, uh, oh, sorry. Yes, he's 20. It's 2021 now. Sorry, I completely <laughs> forgot that last year existed. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Don't worry, we all did. We'll hope to. Yeah, he is Formula One's first driver born in the 21st century, which I hate. I hate that stat. I really I hate, hate that, that as well. It make you feel really old. It, it <laughs> does. does. I, I, um, I, well, I thought it was bad when you when Jaime Alguersuari was the first driver of the nineties, and I thought, oh yeah, this is my generation, and he's gone within like three four years. <laughs> yeah. Sonoda, yeah. I think one. I, I, yeah, obviously, I've watched him for the last couple of years. Chris has, but what same sort of time? Oh, F two mostly. Yeah, 
one word of caution I would say just I don't want to take it away from Yuki because it was still his laps especially on day three were that he did he did have a spin but he also um did set some very very good times and consistently good times however there is one small caveat that goes along with that because it's testing there's no DRS zones now pretty much everybody else was only really using DRS in the DRS zones Yuki was essentially using it wherever he liked <laughs> yep. brave boy so yep. so well yeah um, but that does explain why he was like three tenths quicker. quicker than Verstappen at one point. Yeah. Um, I when he looked at the time... off the tyre as well. Uh, yeah, I think he was on the C4 tyre, which wasn't even the fastest tyre. No, he was um, on C5. Oh, he was. He wasn't yeah. the softest tyre then. Okay. Verstappen was on yeah. C4, so he was on the C5s. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I think it was... It's, I mean, it takes some balls to just open the DRS whenever you fancy it, but... Um, that's what they used to do back in 2013. That's what, yeah, quality, that's what you did, wasn't it? Um, yes. But, I mean... Well, I'm qualifying anyway. Yeah, yeah you could only do qualifying. But then Sutil uh, I mean, was too unsafe. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but, no, I think he did very well. I'm very, very interested to see how he gets on in the races. Do we think um, that Alfa Tauro also... Minardi will be anywhere closer to the midfield pack definitely definitely they're in there this year i i still think between third and seventh uh it's going to fluctuate from race to race um and that's my concern for alpine because just like last year there were some circuits they were on it then there were other tracks they were they couldn't even get into q3 that's like toyota's Exactly. And I think uh, AlphaTauri are going to be there to take over from any of those teams that have an off day. They look more the upside, The upside that AlphaTauri have is that they have clearly a, a good car, uh, like chassis-wise, like handling-wise. They also have the second best power unit. Um, Ooh, that's a big a, I would say that. I'd say so. They're up there. I don't know. Mercedes, Honda, top, I would top go. Top speed, Honda were up there. This, this test. That's what I mean. In terms of raw power, seems to be pretty, especially this year, seems to be pretty good. Mm. Um, so I think they could easily... They've also got a lot more parts from Red Bull this year. Mm -hmm. um, so that's interesting as well, to see how that's going to work its way out. But uh, yeah, I think they're going to be ones to watch. They're good. Going to yep, the back I agree with that. Anyway. No, no, I was just agreeing with him. Fair enough. Right, to the back of the grid, back three. Uh, or are they? Alfa Romeo. I think they had a solid test. Looked pretty good. I think lot, they did exactly year. what they needed to do. Yeah, they did exactly what they needed to do. Impressive amount of laps by Kimi on the last day. Hmm. Three Grand Prix. Man's he did 165 or something like that. Uh, yeah, and he had enough time to get into a punch-up with Carlos Sainz as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a bit... Uh, Hang, handbags at dawn, wasn't it? Quite a uh, well, sunset, really. But, you know, well, yeah. Handbags, handbags at dusk. It doesn't quite yeah. have time as well. Doesn't not quite as good. Um, uh, I think the Alpha's a lot better. I don't think. I think the car was way too slow last year to have a hope of getting into the midfield fight proper. But I'd, I I'd, think I'd hope that they can show their hand a bit better, a bit more consistently. The car was really let down by the engine last year. Yeah, I think. it was. 
it was not a coincidence why those three teams just fell to the back last year. Uh, but there were definitely times where Alfa Romeo were faster than Ferrari last year. Yep. And there was times yeah, no, in this test when they were as well. Mm. Mm-hmm. Which uh, uh, Ferrari won't have been happy. For me, it's Haas. Still think it's Williams. And then I would say Alfa Romeo. Because I think. In reverse order. Yeah, in reverse, it has been the slowest. No, has been the slowest. Then it's the Williams, and then it's the Alfa Romeo. Just because I think has I think, chance. I think from like a a legacy point of view, that Williams is still going to be slow. Hmm. You can't solve all the problems that the Williams had by tokens or whatever the token system or overall. Well, I just think both, isn't it? It doesn't matter. Very, even if you've got a quick qualifying car, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a quick race car. That's what I mean. And vice versa. I think... And even, sorry, go on. Just, yeah, I just... I don't, I don't... As as much fanfare as some of the Williams drivers are coming out with saying it's, you know, we've got a better car, we've got a better platform, I don't think they have. I think they're still going to be slower than the Alfa, uh, the Alfa Romeo. I just think Kimi's going to be consistently good like he was last year. And Giovinazzi seems to be... Stepping up to the plate slightly, so yeah, it's made I just can't see the Williams going as well. As much, you know, you know, I'm a fan of Giovinazzi. Um, I think it's make. I'm or surprised break he's the, still in the car. I think it's make or break the season. It was make or break last year. I don't know how he's managed to survive another year. I honestly thought Mick Schumacher was going to be partnering up with uh, Raikkonen. I absolutely agree with you, Monty. I don't know how he's still in the car. If I'm honest, because I just think it's probably is. it's an Italian team and they wanted an Italian driver. No, nah, twelve, yeah. twelve-time world champion seeing there at the moment. In, in waiting, <laughs> um, he's already won seven. We just we just don't talk about it. Um, They're all hidden in his man bun. <laughs> anyway, um, let's right. Let's talk about Williams. I don't get it. Oh, it don't the get yellow it. this year. That's going to two mile an hour to their top speed. The racing stripes. It's five percent. Mm. First stripe, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no. That's oh, so they're only just going to be up to Alfa Romeo then. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe on race pace. I I really hope Williams have improved over the winter. Um, they've got a lot more parts from Merck this year. They did the most so laps of any Mercedes team. They mm. did, and I think that maybe was because they were having to try and sort out a lot of new parts and a lot of setup stuff because they've kept the same drivers, so there's not like they're trying to run new drivers in. They know the drivers. Um, the drivers know the team. I would say... Yeah, maybe not as quick as Alfa Romeo, but quicker than Haas, definitely. Haas Let's looks awful. discuss Haas. They do look terrible. Um, Haas you, sorry, is the, the, Haas. the Russian flag. <laughs> nice one. Haas. Right. Bit depressing, isn't it? It's um, just depressing. I don't get it. They've got a slow car. They've got a shit driver. They've got a... Um, they've got a very, very, they've got a very, very nice livery to all those Russian. What do you mean, the Russian flag? Yeah, it's very nice, isn't it? It's lovely. Yeah. I, it's, I, I think more people should have Russian flags. Yeah, so do I. Like maybe oh. the driver should have a Russian flag. Yeah, he would <laughs> love to if he would love to if Wada hadn't uh, banned Russia from everything. Yeah. How did Kvyat get around it? Well, it didn't happen last year, did it? I would say yeah, it didn't. It only came in this year, like over the winter into F one. Yeah, They're right. Uh, yeah, I've got to feel sorry for Mick. Yeah. You've got to feel sorry for him. He's, he's dressed up like a clown. He's in a car that's three years old. Literally. And he's going to be at the back of the grid for the entire season. And they've made it very clear they're not developing it. But yeah. 
they've already said, haven't they, that they're not developing. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I, don't I found it interesting in testing, though, their times have been quite close. As much as I hate Mazepin, Marzipan, how, how Marzipan. Have you pronounce that? <laughs> Marzipan. However you pronounce that pervert's name. He's, um, his pace, even in Formula 2, was on with Mick Schumacher. He was just so erratic that mm. he couldn't string a weekend together, but mm. the pace is there. So I'm intrigued to see who's going to win that battle over the course of the year. Can Marzipan actually up his game, he lower his he aggression? Won't, he won't touch Mick in a race. He won't touch Mick in a race. No, I don't think over a race distance. I think, I think one, Mick will have more pace. Mm -hmm. Two, Mazepin will almost certainly crash. Okay. <laughs> I'm so um, happy, though, what, just to see MSC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my bad. Uh, I'm so happy though to see the initials MSC back on the board. Yes. Yeah, that was that was good. But uh, I, I mean Schumacher, Michael Schumacher was my favourite driver growing up as a kid. Uh, Still so my that really you were a kid happy. at some point. Shut up. Um, <laughs> I still am a kid mentally, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Monty was 28 when he signed for Benetton. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let's, let's last point on Haas. I don't get it. They've got literal tokens. They can have free reign of, of upgrading something on the bloody... Yeah, I don't... I really... And the tokens... It's not as if they're saving tokens for next year. That's not how it works. Yeah. They, they must, may as well Even if they underdeveloped last year, they must have something they didn't put on the car. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Delara they must have some design work. This there's a lot of job vacancies going at uh, Haas at the moment for new engineers. Uh, they're developing a new learning and development section there. What so they can learn how to drive, how to build a car. <laughs> I, I think they are basically rebuilding the factory. That's all they care about this year because they don't know how to build a car uh, because they are always buying the things off other people. Yeah, so they they buy a car off Delara, they get all their parts from Ferrari, they just put the thing together and go, oh, well, this isn't going very good. Why is it not going quick? I don't know. Why do you think it's not going quick? I don't know. Can we throw money at it? Yeah, that will do. Oh, have we, have we got oh well, maybe it's because no. it's... <laughs> exactly. So I, I, I'm intrigued to see what's going to happen this year. I think Haas is actually... Two things are going to happen at Haas, or one or the other, rather. One, they're either going to rebuild themselves into an actual proper competition so they can actually do things in-house. So come next year, we may actually see something fundamentally different from them. And crucially, uh, a team who understands their car because, well, remember 2019? That car was so quick, no, but they didn't know no, why it was quick. And no, then they couldn't get Monty, it to go stop. quick in a race. Monty, stop. What? You, you, what? You've gone a year too far forward. 2017. 2018. No, tw no, 2019. Well, no, he said it was 2019. 19, it, 19 it was, was the rich energy one. It was awful. Yeah, no, it wasn't. They qualified no, in Q3 poor. most of the times. They were in Q they were in Q3 for a lot of the times with the the Hass, uh, the rich energy livery, uh, and then they couldn't score points because they kept on flying to the back of the field. Oh right, I, I cut Mag you off. Magnus I cut you off before Ma you Mag Magnus. <laughs> yes, I know. So shut up. Um, <laughs> You're the worst host ever. Thank you. Honestly. Thank you. No, they, work, they work with 2018, though, Monty. I'm right about that. Yes, they did. But 2018, they had a quick car. Then every upgrade they brought to it didn't work. They <laughs> didn't work. So they ended up at the last race with a Monza spec, uh, sorry, with a Melbourne spec car. Yeah. And it went quicker than anything else they had done for the rest of the year. 2019, they had something that was quick in qualifying because they were regularly in Q3. 
but then they'd fall to the back of the grid during the race because they couldn't get heat into their tyres and they couldn't understand why. Like, they were the only ones in front of Williams, or rather, in front of Kubica for the whole of 2019. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that that's my point there. I think Haas need to do something fundamentally different to actually understand what their cars are doing. And I think that's what they're doing this year. Now that they have a, a Russian billionaire in there who's obviously you're going to chuck money in to make sure that his son can win, that means they can actually invest things on here. I personally think Gene Haas may also be leaving. I think he's had enough of F1 now. He's, he's lost his love for it. Uh, and, well, because I'm from Jersey and it, it wouldn't be a podcast with me if I didn't bring up war somewhere. <laughs> um, don't, don't, don't you guys feel this is almost like the Cold War? Patriotic American team with American flags everywhere. Boom, Russia, with a German driver in the middle to keep things at peace. It's the Cold War all over again. Uh, Didn't Rich Energy or Rich Energy's whatever his name is the the the, the clown with the beard? Didn't he say yeah him? Didn't he say he was buying a Formula One or his friend was buying a Formula One team? Mm. I, I agree with he, Monty. I think he, you could uh, easily yeah. see Haas just saying, "Sod it." <laughs> I, th- I think Gene Haas has had enough, and I think we're going to see it with a new name next year. Sam? This is the transition point. Sam, do, yes, you, think, Sam. do you think that Renault are a bit pissed off they haven't got the oldest car on the grid? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, more well, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> we'll see if they uh, develop the car at all. I'm Wait, who, who's, who's got the oldest car on the grid? Has to. Yeah, by a long way now. W- why have Haas... Oh, oldest. Sorry, yeah. I thought you said yeah, oldest. Yeah. My bad. Oh, no, not oldest. That's, um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, it's definitely Alpine. Probably Alpine, yeah. yeah. Right, um, that's going to do it for the um, the testing roundup. However, this week, as many of you will know, we did have the unfortunate news that um, the legend, there's no other word for it, uh, Murray Walker passed away this week, or in the last week of testing. Um, at the age of 97, I believe. Correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I said well, I put a post up at the time on the social media, but I think we just want to say our regards in person as well. So, uh, from my from my past, I'll always save mine. You you don't go first, Chris. Uh, how do you how do you phrase it? Really, I mean, legend is the right word. Let's face it. He was the voice of motorsport for the best part of fifty years mm-hmm. and the rest. And well, yeah, um, and I mean, he was the voice growing up. He was always the commentator. But like, even me and Chris, who were only young whippersnappers, uh, he was the one <laughs> screaming down the microphone and getting it slightly wrong, but making the most boring of races sound like oh, yeah, the most yeah, exciting thing he's ever seen. Yeah, he had a difficult time in the early in two thousand and two thousand and one trying to make some of them races sound interesting. Christ Almighty! And he did a he did a bang up job, didn't he? Oh, he he really did, really did. He just had pure love for the sport, and I mean, he grew up with motorbikes. He loved cars. He loved bikes. He loved anything with an engine and wheels on it. And, And I think you can see a lot of his actual profession in the background there because, I mean, professionally, he was a marketing man. He, he did these huge projects in the 60s, 70s, and 80s for um, like all the well-known brands in Britain. Uh, all the posters you used to see in like uh, London, and that, that was all of his work. And you could see that that delivery was brought in whenever he did the commentary. He brought something to life. Um, I think a lot of that was because originally when he did commentating, 
it was as a radio commentator, so he would almost have to describe it because you couldn't see yeah. what was going on there. And once he had a TV and you had him involved, you, you could see what was going on, but he still just made it look far more exciting than what you were looking at. Well, even yeah. even in the well, 90s he was... when he was at, say, I don't know, say Donington Park, for example, um, he didn't have all the 400 monitors like they do nowadays and the you know 14 different camera angles to pick at any one time. Um, oh. He literally had basically the the pretty grainy footage, especially when it was raining, and he had to try mm-hmm. and make do of what we saw himself. Um, and it was yeah. an incredibly hard job, and he, he he managed it. You know, it's, it's, some of uh, those British touring car races that he commentated on were among his best, I think, as well, weren't they? I'm going for first, says Cleland. <laughs> it still cracks me up. Like, some I watched. When I heard about it, I'm not going to lie, I was quite upset. Um, and I spent probably an hour, maybe even two, basically just watching highlights of Murray Walker. Um, and s- some of them were absolutely brilliant, weren't they? Like, not even like the where he got it a bit wrong, where he called the, named the wrong driver or yeah. whoever it was, which was always a bit funny, but you, you knew that the reason he'd done it is because he was so excited about what he was watching that he couldn't get his words out correctly. Which driver yeah. was um, it in Monaco? Was it like Tekken New or something who just like spun the car like 12 times? Uh, no, wasn't it a French oh, driver? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, can't, I wasn't a French driver. It, like, no, when a few he... times it just went, you don't deserve to be yeah, in that car or that's, something. That's, that's the one. I can't remember who it was though. But it's... Him and James oh, Hunt were just ripping into him. Apparently, yeah, apparently yeah. that car was, it really, was bad, really bad to drive. Apparently it wasn't, it, it wasn't, it wasn't hit the driver's fault that much at all. Ah, oh, wow. Well. Uh, <laughs> if if uh, people ever get the chance to go onto YouTube, listen to the combination of Murray Walker and James Hunt, because you had two such bipolar people who admittedly didn't get on that well outside the yeah. commentary box, but their chemistry worked so well together, because you had Murray Walker who never had a bad thing to say. If he ever had a negative thing to say, he would say it, but he would uh, always say it almost honey glaze rather than dousing it in vinegar hmm. and um oh, well that's your choice <laughs> um but uh he would say it and that was that we'll carry on with the race now james hunt no that was it off he'd go on one <laughs> yeah and um I, 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 <laughs> thank you <laughs> um there, there was honestly guys go and listen to uh, the austrian grand prix in 1983 because there, there was a section of the race where patrick tombe was leading and he got completely held up by Jean-Pierre, uh, Jean-Pierre Jarier for about a lap, uh, which allowed PK and Arnoux to overtake Tombe. And it's not often you hear Murray Walker angry. And Murray Walker got angry with this. And this is when you know you've done goofed. And you start to say, you know, crass driving from Jarier and all that. And you think, oh, that, that's quite bad. You can't say it on the BBC. No, James <laughs> Hunt goes and takes it to another level and forces Murray Walker to kind of pull it back because James Hunt starts saying he should be black flagged from this race he should be disqualified he has the mental age of a 10 year old actually he should be he should be suspended from the race just for being himself and then Murray Walker <laughs> has to try and bring, bring the race back again so um, honestly for me that that was um, oh, obviously I wasn't alive at the time but uh, go and watch it guys that, that really was a great clip yeah I mean my last one is... of the I think one of the what, sorry one of the, the one of the best clips i think that epitomizes the relationship that those two had um was rennie arnoux at monaco <laughs> where murray was explaining how rennie arnoux had been saying during the week that he, <laughs> he was struggling with the naturally aspirated cars because he'd become so used to how the turbo cars drive and it's a very different style of driving 
And then James just picks up the microphone and, and just calls it bullshit <laughs> live on the BBC. Yeah. Hands the microphone back to Murray, who just continues, just as if it hasn't happened. Just well, anyway, <laughs> well, anyway, and, uh, <laughs> and to, to just blow it over. Um, and to be fair, to a lesser extent, even with Martin Brundle as well, that, that was a wonderful combination as well, because it was almost like uh, the grandpa handing over his um, talent to the new boy. And mm. Brundle had so much respect for uh, Walker, because you, you could see that Brundle knew that Walker got something wrong. But he would he would, he wouldn't say no you got that wrong he would just say I think that's actually Villeneuve or something like that yeah. and walk and go yes you're right so then he'd carry on that way instead and, <laughs> it's, it's um, a shame when all the cars look identical <laughs> yeah. yes um, Monaco ninety eight where Ricardo Rosset uh, failed to qualify and kept spinning off and uh, Walker goes and says something along the lines of um, now there's some harsh words in the paddock uh, this weekend Martin that um, unfortunately uh, people feel that Ricardo Rosset um, there's a debate as to whether Ricardo Rosset is Formula One material, and uh, Brundle just snaps straight back with a was a fairly short debate, Murray. Oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, anyway, and uh, to the rest of qualifying, uh, he just lost his composure there. But uh, no, I, I, the man can make the most boring of things exciting. He was a gentleman. He was a war veteran. He had so much time for people. Um, I've even got my own tale with the, the man as well because um, back in 2002 uh, just after he'd retired uh, he was doing a kind of tour around the UK uh, he'd uh, just released a, an autobiography and um, word on the street was that he had come to Jersey to go uh, to our bookshop to do the signing and at the time I had a broken back and I couldn't really walk very well and um, I had no feeling in my right leg. Obviously, that wasn't going to deter me. The second I heard that Murray Walker was over, that this man who had made every race I had watched since I was two years old so excited made me go, yes, I want to be a racing driver when I'm older. I have to see him. So um, off I went uh, with uh, the assistance of my granddad and dad loading me up on painkillers and driving me to the uh, uh, bookshop. Off we went uh, to go there. Obviously, as an 11-year-old, I don't think about the logistics like, I don't know, everyone else in the island would like to also go and see him. <laughs> so uh, I turn up to the bookshop. There's a queue going from the back of the shop where he was, out of the shop, down our uh, high street uh, for about probably a quarter of a kilometre to where the high street reconnects to the road again. Um Obviously, this wasn't going to stop me. It was pissing with rain and everything. Mm -hmm. I stood in that queue for bloody ages, for about two hours. Finally got into the shop. Painkillers started wearing off, and I lost feeling in my right leg again, and I had to call it quits and leave. And I was absolutely gutted that I never got to meet the man. The shopkeeper my granddad knew and had told the shopkeeper about that I'd been in this queue for two hours, but I had to go because back injury and I just couldn't do anything. And the day afterwards, my granddad came back uh, to the house with one of his books, signed by Murray Walker, and a little card in there just saying, Dear James, get well soon. That's nice. Mm. Now, there's no need for him to have done that. No. So, you know, do people turn up, do you sign the book, okay, thanks, bye. So obviously someone had to go out of their way to ask him at the end of this all, would you mind doing one extra one for this kid that couldn't turn up today? He didn't need to do that, and he did. And that, to me, is just the personality of him. He would always give his time to people who shared the same kind of passion as him. And forever, I am so, so grateful for that. And I still have that book uh, stored in my cupboard today. 
Yeah, well, my my last story was the, just the fact that you mentioned the bikes, Monty. Uh, my granddad was one who was racing there at the time when Murray Walker was commentating, so he's he was known to our family, and it's yeah, it's a huge loss to the world of motorsports, ourselves obviously on the personal front, and just you know the world really. Much like Sterling Moss last year, it's you know it's just it's a, an era of which sadly they they don't last forever, and it's going to be mm-hmm. a, it's it's a worse worse place for it. It is definitely a worse place for it, but my God, what a life the man has! Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah. bring joy <laughs> for seven years. Thank you very much, Murray. I suppose it's appreciate the people when they're there. Exactly. Yeah. Appreciate while yeah. Murray was commentating. Appreciate while Brundle's current commentating. Appreciate while they're there. Yeah, Chris. I, Chris, I appreciate you. Ah, cheers, man. Sam, not so I much. Appreciate can... all of us. Well, yeah. <laughs> cheers, Sean. Can... Cheers. That's oh, all right, mate. <laughs> can I uh, share my two favourite uh, Murray Walker memories? If they're very quick, yeah. They are very quick. That sounds terrible on my end. You might want to put it in a link. We'll put it on the link on the on the website. Yeah. All right, I'll put it on the uh, the uh, website uh, afterwards. Um, Sorry. That's all right. That's all right. Um, yeah, but just I think from everyone's table to all four of us and probably Al. Um, yeah, just our our thoughts and whatever go out to his family and friends who knew him. Obviously, better than we did, but uh, I think that's about to do it for this episode of the, of, um, the Good, the Bad, and the Cree. We look forward to the new season of F1 in a couple of weeks. Definitely. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, thank you very much to Chris, Sam, and Monty for joining me. Pleasure's all right. Pleasure. Uh, obviously, it's all mine, duh. Um, and we shall see you next time. Take care and goodbye. Ciao, ciao. Goodbye. Goodbye.